Hello and welcome to the I Can Do podcast with Benjamin Lee. We're here to talk about tips and strategies to have an I Can Do mindset. Life is what you put into it. Get the most you can. Here's your host, Benjamin Lee. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of I Can Do. Uh, we have another fantastic guest with us today. Jim Bro is with us today. I know that you are going to benefit a great deal from everything that Jim is going to have to share with us today. Before we get started with the conversation, let me just share a little bit about Jim. Jim has spent 40 years searching out the best methods to train the mind. He ran one of the top Tony Robbins franchises and was CEO of Navy SEAL Commander Mark Devine's Unbeatable Mind and SEAL Fit Companies. He is certified in breathwork, yoga, hypnotherapy, and has multiple black belts and was a Fortune 500 CHRO. He is the author of four books, including Easy Makes Us Weak and is a salt after coach, and is a creator of Mind Jim Bro. Uh, there's a lot that I really want to talk about. Jim, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you? Great, Benjamin. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. You are quite welcome. Uh, there's a lot for us to cover here, and I really appreciate you being here with us. You know, one of the things, Jim, that I was just thinking about, and we've talked before a couple of weeks ago, You've been on a pretty amazing journey, um, and I'm curious if you could share with the audience um, just how have you gotten to this point now of being a coach and having this Mind Gym Bro, this app that you have created. Um, walk us through this journey and this path. You've had a lot of different experiences, and I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah. Well, you know, Benjamin, I guess it started back in high school when I took my first psychology course and I fell in love. I absolutely loved it. And so I, I went to college uh, for undergrad for psychology. And um, and I was a wrestler. That was my main sport. And it's definitely a lot mental. Uh, I remember my high school coach said there's a, there's a point that one of the guys quits. I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. you can see that. And so you know, at first I was interested in kind of my own performance, athletic performance, but very quickly afterwards, I, I was looking at how can I help other people with their mindset? And at that point, I was either going to go into clinical psychology or human resources. And at that point, I chose human resources. Now I went back and I'm choosing clinical psych. But um, at that point, I went on for my master's degree and kind of had the idea of helping people in their workplace. Well, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I got into HR and hated it. <laughs> I, was, I was like really administrative, at least at least then. And so I started uh, a business and then I started the Tony Robbins franchise. I you know, bought his personal power tapes back in 1989, I think. And I thought this was really applied psychology. I really liked it. Long story short, I ended up, you know, starting a franchise and I got to spend a lot of time with Tony Robbins. Um, and I did that for four years and I really liked kind of his approach. I, I also thought it was very kind of masculine, very young, if you will, you know, very energetic, always taking action. 
And I wanted to explore a little bit, well, what about the softer side? What about a little more feminine side? So I started training with a yoga teacher and mm -hmm. I worked with him for two years and we created different training and things, you know, CDs that people could do. So I got exposed to yoga, Kundalini yoga and breath work. And so I saw in meditation, I saw that aspect of it. Then I went back into HR for kind of 25 years and I saw through my experience and seeing, you know, who gets promoted and who doesn't, who even at the senior levels, you know, what kind of things do they struggle with in terms of peers or, or leadership or teamwork. And at that level, Fortune 500 people are very smart. That is never the issue. They're smart. They have global mm -hmm. experience. Um, the challenge that I saw was really around the emotional development. Mm. Um, they were generally very, very good externally. And some, some were also very good internally. Um, but many were not. Many struggled. Um, you know, it was kind of zero-sum game. Um, there was only one CEO position. There was only one C-level position. And a lot of people were gunning for that. So I didn't see mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, as much teamwork as I would have liked to see. Um, so um, then I went and did a similar job with a much smaller company in the UK and lived there for four years. So I got to see that culture a little bit. Um, but I started getting more interested in hypnosis and I had started working or taking rather a class called Unbeatable Mind. It was an online class with Commander Mark Devine. And I thought, hey, this mm -hmm. is really good. It's a very different take. Um, and I did their kind of Navy SEAL Hell Week civilian version, um, which was like 50 hours of nonstop training, no sleep. And uh, I said, wow, that's that's a mindset. Um, <laughs> and what I guess really stuck with me was there were 10, 14 that that were supposed to be there. Four didn't show up at all. Mm. And 10 were there. Uh, I was the oldest. I was just a month shy of 55. There were guys, there were teenagers, guys in their 20s. I think five of them wanted to be Navy SEALs. One guy wanted to be a Marine recon, which is a very hard job um and after 15 hours of the 50 there was only three of us left wow and i think maybe one guy hadn't trained enough but the other nine certainly had they were physically fit young strong good shape but they got in their head that they couldn't do it in fact one guy he was just turned 40 he had run cross country in college he quit after 20 minutes. Wow. Like, dude, you, you trained. It wasn't <laughs> even that hard. But we were doing like an overhead thing with these, uh, these poles. And we were down in a squat position. And his mobility wasn't great. And he just got in his head like, oh, no. You know, are they going to make us do this a lot? The answer is yes, actually. Um, but he just said, he, you know, he just got in his head. And I was, I was shocked, Benjamin, how quickly people quit. I'm like, guys, it's hard, but it's not that hard. Like, you know, it's only training. It's only people. They're not killing us. It's cold. Right. It's hot. Whatever. Um, so I was really intrigued by this style of training. Um, and then, then I did a lot more. I got certified in hypnosis, and I'm taking this is my sixth um, course in Ericksonian hypnosis. And then 
I decided to go back to school for my doctorate in clinical psychology because I, I, I'm just so fascinated about the mind and what people are capable of and kind of where we hold ourselves back for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. your biology, you know, you're not dialing in your sleep, so you're tired or you're overwhelmed um, or it's your psychology or it's how you're brought up. You know, it's interesting living in other cultures because from the U.S., and I understand this isn't for everyone, but a lot of people in the U.S. feel like, hey, I can do whatever I put my mind to. That is not the same all around the world. Mm. Um, and again, I don't want to speak for a country or a culture, um, but as a generalization, that is not how people in England necessarily think. Mm. I, I read something like 92% of all land in Scotland and 80 something percent in England have been owned by the same families for over a thousand years. Wow. You know, you, you saw Game of Thrones, whatever, like, hey, your clan goes with us. We'll give you the land if we win the war. Um, and these get passed down by generation. And so the class mm. system, even though they, they won't say it in England, is is alive and well. It's like, hey, wow. you know, if you're from this kind of place in society, you get this kind of job. And if you went to the right school, um, then you get this kind of job. Mm -hmm. And so people think like, hey, I can never get there because I wasn't born into that family or I didn't go to that school. And yeah. that that plays out. And so you can see yeah. how people's culture will influence how they think. And so a lot of times now in psychology, we talk about biopsychosocial aspects and influences. So it's, you know, it's mm -hmm. not just how you think, it's what's your culture like, what's your family of origin like, where did you grow up? What's your ethnicity? What's your race? You know, how's your biology? How do you sleep? How's your nutrition? So uh, what's your epigenetics? So there's a lot that goes into how you think about things. And then then there's all the psychology part. So that's mm -hmm. kind of my background and how I got interested. And I just I just love learning about the, this topic. Yeah, no, I love the fact that you're still growing and learning and going back to school. I, I got so many questions. Question number one, I'm curious, you said say, um, psychology at a younger age, you know, that was something that you were interested in. Where did that come from? Was that from reading books or was that from your your parents? Where, why that path at, a, at an early age? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, not from my parents. I, I don't know why I liked it. I had never really taken a course. And when I was a senior, I took a course. I'm like, I just love this. So yeah, who knows? Who knows? Maybe I'm yeah. reincarnated. <laughs> <laughs> Hypnosis is something I don't know a lot about. Now, I've seen things, you know, you see things on social media. Um what exactly is hypnosis? I think some people have this idea or, or this view that, you know, someone is maybe taking control of your mind or is going to cause you to do something silly. I've seen guys go into like college football teams or NFL teams. And, you know, is it just mere persuasion? What exactly is hypnosis and what's the benefit? How is it actually used? And someone who's listening to this, how does the person yeah. know if that's something for them? Yeah, great question. So first of all, let's uh, segment stage hypnosis, which is not at all what most people do. It's entertainment. Um, 
and stage hypnotists look for people who want to be up there and do these certain things. Mm. Um, kind of medical hypnosis or therapeutic hypnosis is very different. One, yeah. it's not the hypnotist controlling you. It's suggestion. And, and by the way, we, we're all in a state of trance and hypnosis. I mean, um, we've all had the experience of we're driving and we're like, how did I just get here? Yep. <laughs> I yep. <haven't> been <laughs> how did I run someone over? Um, and so, you know, you have an ability to do things without your conscious awareness, especially if it's something you know how to do. But even something as complex as driving, we all have that experience. You know, we get home or we're like, I don't think I've been concentrating for the last 10 minutes. It's a little yeah. scary. Um, it is. Also, you know, we have that you're focused on something, you're reading or watching and someone's talking and you don't hear them, right? You're so focused on that. So mm. hypnosis is really a very natural state that we, and you can see it with kids. Kids go in and out of trance all the time. You know, we have seven grandchildren from two to seven. And sometimes it's just like, <laughs> you can tell like, okay, what are you thinking about? But a lot of times, Benjamin, it's really uh, helping people access resources they already have. They just forgot about. Mm. So, for example, you might, um, let's say someone's uh, learning something new. Maybe they're a little nervous or like, I don't know if I can do this. Like we might age regress someone, which sounds really fancy, but you're like, um, hey, remember when you were in school and you had those that paper and it had the dotted lines and you're doing your your capital A and your small A and your capital B and small B and and you can go back and remember how big your pencil was and it was a number two pencil in the mm -hmm. little cubby you had and all of a sudden you're back in school and you're remembering maybe your feet didn't reach and you're remembering your teacher and so you go back to that time and and there was a time where where you had to learn to walk but first you had to learn to flip over then they learned to crawl. And when you went backwards down the stairs, no one taught you that. No one taught you how to go backwards down the stairs. Mm -hmm. But and in fact, the stairs was probably a third or half your height. Imagine doing that now. Mm -hmm. And then you had to hold on to let, you had to let go to move forward. So I just give you an example. So I might talk to someone and remind them about, oh, you learned a language. You learned to write. You might have learned to write cursive. You maybe learned a sport you did this this that and so how did you feel learning those things and how long did it take you to walk or and i might use embedded commands like and you were you might not remember but when you were a baby you were holding on to something and you had to let go to move forward and you fell but you get back up so i might use a mm -hmm. past tense you fell and then i use a present tense but you get back up and move forward mm -hmm. now so there's different approaches and techniques that you can use, or you can use metaphors um, um, and tell a story. So it's indirect. Because so, some people, they don't like to be controlled and they don't like to be told what to do, right? So you can say, hey, you know how to do this. Or like, forget you, you don't know me. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you might tell a story where they're relaxing. So their conscious mind relaxed, they're breathing differently, their brain waves are slowing down. And when our brain waves slow down, we're more open to suggestion. We're more creative. And so it allows people to 
look at things in a different way. Or for example, you rehearse um, performance. So for example, if you're a coach of a football team and the guy drops a pass and you go, hey coach, next time I'm gonna catch it. You're gonna go, how do I know that? You're gonna practice, let me mm -hmm. see. Run that same route, go do it over and over and over again. And then you're like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure they'll practice, I'll, they'll catch it. But in let's say interpersonal relationships, and someone loses it and they'll go, I'm really sorry. Next time I'll do better. Why? Well, why is that magic? You wouldn't believe anyone if they said they're going to do better next time in anything else. You'd be like, hey, let's practice. Right. Show me. Let's practice again. Let's see where you, you know, maybe had some challenges and then we'll keep doing it. So in that case, we might go back and go, OK, go back to that situation. Somebody said something. Now, what happened? What did you notice? And because they're, they're feeling safe, they're a little removed, you know, we might have them physically moved. Maybe they watch it on a TV screen or a movie screen, or they sit in a chair and watch it. So they, they're a little removed and they go, okay, what do you feel? And they're like, oh, my neck tenses up. Okay, great. Your emotional brain is faster than your cognitive brain. So that's why we say stuff and we're like, oh, why do I say that? Like, I know better. Of course, you know better, but you weren't using that part of your brain. You're using an emotional mm -hmm. fight, flight or freeze. And if you said something you didn't, you regret, you probably in fight. You're like, all right, I'll show them. If you walked away, you were in flight. If you just didn't say anything, you were in freeze. So mm -hmm. we go back and go, all right, take your time. Maybe even have them stroke their neck or. Maybe they feel contracted because pretty much when people have something bothering them, generally they feel contracted, like they're covering up because they're going to get hit. They feel heavy. If they imagine um, it's usually like gray, you know, kind of like dark, like it's raining and heavy, like someone just put one of those weighted blankets on. And then you go, all right, what sound does it sound like? It's always like, Whoa. okay, great. Let's let that flow. Let's move around and do it again. And so we'll have it like, let's say you're a director and you, all right, go again, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again, do the reps. So it does a few things. One, it desensitizes them to the issue. So if they're like, okay. oh, someone said this, or my boss did this, and you run it 20 times, it's not as powerful and impactful as, you know, the first time. You're like, okay, you did it again, you did it again. Great. How would you have liked to respond? All right, now practice that. How does that feel? How does that feel? So in the other way, they're like, okay, they feel stress, whatever it is, happens to be your boss or your spouse or whomever. And they run a pattern of, oh, when I get stressed, I do this. And it's very quick, very strong. So now we're creating a new neural path of, all right, you want to do this. But this is a seven lane highway. And this is this little dirt path. And you got a machete. You've got to make that a strong connection. So when you get stressed, you know what to do, but you have to interrupt this pattern and then go down that new path. So that would be mm -hmm. another example of in hypnosis. It's like, you know how to relax. You know how to not be an idiot. You know how to say things. You know how to be compassionate or grateful or loving or patient. You know how to listen. Most people know how to listen. It's, mm -hmm. are you in the right frame of mind to listen? Right. Not. Mm. Oh, I can't tell you how many times in human resources we need to send this person the listening skills. <laughs> OK, I'm pretty yeah. sure they know how to listen. It's more likely 
what emotional or mindset or what emotional state or mindset are you in to then be able to listen right because if you're like hey this guy's an idiot why should i listen to them you know how to listen your issue is you think the guy's an idiot that's that's the real problem right right, right? so um but th those are examples of you know hypnosis or i i use the term mind gym because you know it's just like you go to train your mind so those are things where mm. we might go back in time and then you might go forward in time you're like okay what would this look like in the future how would you breathe how would you gesture how would you move you know watch yourself and practice it okay and then you might you might go really far in the future and you might go 25 years in the future and go all right you've been doing this for 25 years mm. what do you notice how do you look so mm -hmm. those are ways to play with time. You can go backward in time and forward in time. So hypnosis then, uh, as you said earlier, it's not about someone else controlling you, but it's about becoming more aware. It's about becoming more conscious. conscious. It's about even rehearsing things from the past to, uh, to help you with maybe even present situations or challenges, whatever it may be. And it's mm. and it's the ability to kind of walk through that. And I like that language, desensitize, desensitize your mind. So if I'm understanding correctly, hypnosis, then can that help someone with breaking addictions? So, for example, caffeine addiction or uh, overeating, things like that. Is that also a way for, for you as you coach or in a client type setting? Yeah. That in the process of time with this mind gym, you know, exercises that it could even break some of those cycles. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is, so let's say. Let's say someone gets stressed and their self-soothing mechanism, which is mm -hmm. a needed thing, is oh, they they eat ice cream. Mm -hmm. And they generally have some judgment around that. Oh, I'm lazy. You know, nah, 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 I feel bad. OK, but that self-soothing is a good thing. It's a positive thing. You need that. And so mm -hmm. what people do is like, well, I'm going to go not eat. Okay, but that was soothing for you. That was relaxing for you. Or people, for example, they smoke. Not only do they have the physiological aspect of smoking nicotine, for example, but they also generally, they're outside. They breathe deeply from inhaling cigarette. Maybe they get out of their work where they don't like it. They're with their smoking friends. So they have that, one, they're outside, changes their state. Two, they breathe deeply, that changes their state. Three, they're with other people that they like. Right. Those are three really powerful things. And then if you go, oh, okay, I'm not smoking. Okay, so now you're not smoking. You're not going outside. You're not breathing deeply. And you're not seeing mm. your friends. That's, so those three things separate the, the cigarette or separate the ice cream. Those three things are really useful. So how are you going to get those? now without the cigarette so i think it's you know mm. some people go hypnotize me and i don't have to do anything oh okay that's nice but is that is I that think, even possible um you know it's not as magic as people think um got it it's like anything else like you have surgery you're like okay but now you have to do rehab it's not yeah. like you know hey i'm good to go all right now you have to do some work too so mm. i in my experience, no, it's not like, hey, hypnotize me and then I'm a different person and I follow through. I think I think that's a flawed model. I think it gives you insight and awareness of things that hold you back. 
and also creating new connections. So like if you said, oh, I'll create a new connection of, oh, you know what? I don't have to respond that way. In fact, there are times that I haven't responded that way. Or other families don't respond that way or other cultures don't respond that way. You can do things differently. Um, mm. But I think there's also a cognitive aspect. So there's cognitive behavioral therapy. There's you know, solution-focused brief therapy. There's all the narrative therapy, different therapies that are more cognitive. So you can look at it, for example, there's things that we teach called cognitive distortions. So you could okay. catastrophize, right? Like, oh, my yeah. gosh, this is going to be worse. Or one's called the mental filter. So someone could say seven really positive things to you, Benjamin, and then one criticism. And the mental filter is you'd be like, okay, okay, oh, what? What? And you focus on that one thing. And you let those seven things go through, like a strainer and water going down a drain. But then what's challenging about that is the next time you want to do something that's new or take some confidence or some boldness or taking a risk, if the only memories and resources and references that people have is that negative thing, they're going to like, well, that one didn't work. And so in hypnosis or even in therapy or coaching, you might go back and go, but did you ever do it? And what about those seven times? So one time out of eight, it didn't work or you didn't get the result you wanted. Did you learn from it? Did you do something different? And what about those seven times? And so that can be a pattern that people have. They will focus on the, the failure, if you will, and not focus on the seven. And that could have been like, their family. Hey, don't think too much of yourself. Okay, that's what your parents told you. So guess what? You don't. You don't mm. think too much of yourself. Or pride is a sin. Okay, great. So you might interpret that in a certain way. And therefore, they, they never said confidence is a sin, right? So how do you look at that? And how do you kind of what pattern have you had? Because if you have a pattern since you were a little kid, if you realize it was a pattern, it's like you learned that. You learned it and you think it's you or how you're wired. And sometimes we'll say it's what you learned. And the beautiful thing is you can unlearn it. Mm -hmm. and so one of the, hey, yeah. No, just sorry, like you ahead. learn a new language, right? You English might be your native tongue, but you, there are people learn two, three, four languages. Mm -hmm. You can learn a new language. Yeah, this is really good. So one word that I wrote down, I'm taking some notes too, is spotlight. So just hearing you speak, it sounds like, and I really like that the mental filter, I want to talk more about that, but putting the spotlight on certain events or situations where maybe you see the entire, the entire scene where mm -hmm. not just the, the one piece of criticism or that one failure, but seeing the whole movie, as you were talking about, or seeing the whole scene, and then it, it uh, the idea of breaking the patterns so just mm -hmm. kind of shifting some of that thinking, if I'm understanding you correctly, and that is how you can push through quitting the cigarette smoking, where you can focus on, well, you're still going outside, you can still do that, you can still have friends and associations, you can still do, you know, the deep breathing and things like that, and slowly mm -hmm. kind of pull or get rid of some of those other you know, negative behaviors. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I like that. I mean, you can use your identity. Like, what is your identity? What's important to you? I worked with a guy once. And <laughs> so 
uh, it was in a seminar and I said, does anyone have anything they want to work on? And the guy raised his hand. He goes, yeah, I want to quit smoking. I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> and I said, okay, come on. I said, how long have you smoked? He said, over 30 years. Mm. I said, okay. So, yeah, so it's a long time. So I said, oh, so why do you want to stop smoking now? And see, even the way you ask a question, why do okay. you want to? And then the command is, why do you want to stop smoking now? Mm, right. So stop I'm, I'm smoking not, now. Yeah, exactly. So that's what's called an embedded command. And you ask the question in that way. So I said, why do you want to stop smoking now? And he was like, well, you know, it's not healthy for me. It's not good. The, the. I'm like, come on, you know, you know that. Right. And I said, what's most important to you? And he had two children, a, a boy and a girl. He said, being a good dad. I said, oh, okay. How old were you when you started smoking? He said, 13. I said, oh. And his son was older than his daughter. I said, and his name was Timmy. I said, how old's Timmy? He said, 11. I said, oh, so two years until Timmy starts smoking. And he goes, no, 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 no. He won't smoke. Mm. And I said, oh, really? Why? Six, I told him not to. I said, oh, do you think kids are more influenced by what you say or what you do? Mm. He didn't say anything because he knows. It's what you do. I said, so how would you feel if Timmy started smoking? I feel horrible. Now I go out in time. What if five years, Timmy was 18 years old and he smoked for five years. How would you feel? I, and I didn't let him off the hook because he told me he wanted to stop. I said, 25 years, you know, he's 38 years old. Timmy smoked for 25 years because of what he saw you do. How would you feel? And he's like, I'm like a failure as a father. I never said that. He said that. He said, right. I have an identity. I have a value as a father, as a role model. Stopped that day. Never smoked again. He Why? stopped that day and never smoked again? Day, never smoked again. And so wow. I brought him back. And then, because then, then it's like pain. I go, well, what if you stop smoking now? What would Timmy learn? And he learned that, you know, you could do anything you put your mind to. In five years from now, when you were still smoke free, what would you learn? So now I go back and then bring him back over time. And mm. then you felt good. And so there's an example of where you can use future pacing for the negative. Like, hey, here's the pain you're going to have. Again, I, I can't control him. I can't tell him he, he feels that. I can only ask him questions. And when he said, I asked him, what's the most important thing in your life? What's your most important value? He said, being a good dad. So I link, okay, how? How is smoking and being a good dad linked in your mind? And in his mind, it wasn't. If he said, no, it's nothing, I don't care. All right, that wouldn't work. But because that was important to him and that, but he never really connected it, right? Because you're like, duh, that makes sense. But in his mind, he didn't really see that. So I go, hey, maybe, but I didn't, I asked him a question. How would it be if Timmy started smoking? And he's like, oh, God, no. And he didn't want to feel that, but I, I kept with it. All right, five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 25 years. Oh, it'd be horrible. Now, smoking is not positive. Smoking is not whatever you felt. Smoking is, oh, I'm a bad role model. I'm a bad father. Again, his, his connection, not mine. 
Then I go right. back and I cement, I create that new pattern. They're like, hey, what if you stop smoking now? And after five years, what would Timmy learn in 10 years and 15 and 20? Oh man, like he could do it. And you know, you could stick with it. Great. How would that feel as a father now? Well, boom. No, this is all very fascinating. I appreciate appreciate that. The example with the with the gentleman stopping smoking. A thought that I had, and, and then I want to talk a little bit about your your mind gym, bro. Is there are there are stories like this, and there are plenty of examples. I can look in the mirror myself as well and see, you know, where I can stop certain patterns. Uh, an author by the name of uh, Gay Henderson, he's got a he wrote the book The Big Leap. So he talks a lot about upper limits where, you know, things are going so well and it's almost like we sabotage ourselves. So it's like, oh, wow, this is so amazing. I haven't mm -hmm. smoked in six months or something like that. Um, what's going on when we, is it just going back to those old patterns when someone who maybe, you know, stops smoking, you know, for five years or 10 years, and then they just say, you know what, I'm doing pretty well. I'll give you an example of this. And I'm curious about this. This individual I knew, um, you know, he was taking some medication and he would come to the building where I was in Southeast Texas when I was preaching there for a number of years. And there were some mental challenges that were that were taking place. And, you know, he would often say, you know, people were talking to him through the television or something like that. And so one of the questions me and another preacher would ask him would be, you know, have you been taking your medication? And And he would say no. And we said, well, why not? Because when you take it, you know, things are working out well. And, and he would yeah. say, well, because I feel good. And so we would try to emphasize, well, you feel good because you're taking the medication. And and that yeah. can happen whether we have some kind of, you know, mental issue or what whatever the case may be, where we get to a certain point and it's like, all right, I've arrived. I feel good. I've lost this weight. Um, I can just kind of take the you know foot off the pedal. Is that mm. what's going on with people? Like, so even after going through like something like with hypnosis, um, and a person stopping, you know, rapidly or quickly or that day or whatever the case can be, can people go back to that old pattern just as a result of just saying, "All right, well, I've already done it." Like, what's what else is happening there? Is it boredom? Is it um, things are going too well. Uh, can you mm. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, thanks. Great question. Um, so there's probably multiple facets to that one. Um, okay. You know, the first one in terms of adherence to medication, um, two things. There are side effects to various uh, uh, psychotropic medications, um, which people are just like, hey, I, I don't want. I don't want to feel this way. Or they go, hey, I feel I feel good. And you're like, yeah, you feel good because of this. So I think right. part of it is, you know, maybe normalizing and taking away the stigma of mental illness. And also, you know, some things, uh, people's brains are just wired differently, where they have neurotransmitter issues or their, you know, amygdala fires way more, way less. Like, if you had anything else, if you had diabetes or what, I mean, you would do what you needed to do. No one would say anything, right? It's like, okay, you got to take care of it. So if you have a brain abnormality or a neurotransmitter issue, like, hey, take that, you know, take care of that. 
Um, so a couple things. One, I think people do get, um, they get bored or they're like, ah, oh, I'm doing good now. I can go back, you know, I can go back and have that drink or I can go back and have ice cream or do whatever. But it's kind of like physical training. You, you know, you're training to do a marathon um, and you know what it takes to do that. If someone ran a marathon 20 years ago, you're like, oh, that's great. What do you do now? Nothing. I haven't trained since. All right. Then you're not you're not in shape. Like, <laughs> oh. And I think the mindset is the same way. It's not like, oh, I did it once. How are you continuing to train your mind? Hmm. Because if you're not, it'll be trained for you. Hmm. And most people, it goes negative right it's we're yeah. kind of wired mm -hmm. to go negative so unless yeah. you train it train your mind it will go negative otherwise all old people would be happy and wise and we know that's not the case you're like well why not they just live because that right. doesn't naturally happen yeah. um so <clears throat> the other thing is i think it's useful and we have a we have this thing called got your six or you know got your back teams of six because people thrive in that accountability. So if gotcha. I'm on a team with you, Benjamin, and I said, okay, I'm going to commit to doing this. And every day I've got to put it on a sheet. I'm like, I can't let Benjamin down. Yeah. And most people will do more for others than they will for themselves. So I think that accountability with the teammate or a team who really has your back and they're there to like, you know, all help each other. So I think it's, I think it's habits. I think it's, continuity of training it's like it's not like you do it once the other thing is if if someone has years and years and years of whatever addiction or a habit if you don't have an addiction it's really hard to like well why you know it's crazy but if you think about it like this all right you have an itch and you're supposed to not scratch it They're like ah oh. Like you, you can, <laughs> you cannot scratch it for a while, but I, right. uh, and you know, everyone like, of course you have to scratch it. All right. Well, that's how people feel who are addicted, you mm -hmm. know? And if you're not addicted, I mean, there's a lot of judgment there. It's like, how, how it's willpower. How come you just can't stop? Well, all right. Think about an itch. Can you just never itch it? You know, maybe for a little while, but at some point you're like, uh, I got to itch it. Okay. So let's start there. And if that's how people feel, maybe you have a little more compassion. And now how can you help? You know, mm -hmm. again, it's what's your biology, what's your psychology, who are you surrounding yourself with? Those are all important. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, and then it's also how, how easy or difficult do you make things? So if you're saying, hey, I'm going to eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables every day. Well, if you don't have it in the house, that's going to be really hard. If, <laughs> if you have, you know, bowls of pears, apples, bananas, oranges, whatever you like, right there, there's lots of salads and things, and you have salads for dinner, great. You'll probably easily achieve that. If your spouse is like, hey, that's not what I cook, and you don't love me anymore, and why don't you like my cooking, that's going to cause some friction. And so, you know, how do you handle that conversation to have the, environment that's going to support you in that so it's a great question there's a lot of perspectives on that um mm -hmm. yeah yeah let's segue to 
your um your mind gym and what are some exercises uh, one that that you continue to do on a daily basis so you know you're doing a lot you have children you have grandchildren you're continuing your education you're coaching uh, maybe you have a fifth book on the way. I don't know. You know, you're doing a lot. You're getting your workout in. You got family. Yeah. Um, talk to us about how you decided that you were going to build this website, this app, and what are some things that people can begin to implement um, with respect to training their mind? I really love that idea of doing that. Yeah, great. So if people are interested, it's mindjimbro.com mind g-y-m like jim b-r-o.com and i put it together because somebody asked me um, <laughs> so when i was um ceo excuse me at uh, unbeatable mind and seal fit um navy seal commander mark divine's companies we had a program there called tip of the spear and it was let's say twenty thousand dollars a year to be in it Mm-hmm. And so we would say every day you should do 20 minutes of box breathing, which is, it's just kind of a, you breathe in, let's say to five, hold for five, exhale for five and hold for five. So it, it, it's a box. And there was an app that people could get. And we said, Hey, do this for 20 minutes. And you'd think, or I thought anyway, if people spend all that money. They'll definitely do it. And I would ask people, you know, as, cause I was coaching some of the teams and sort of overseeing it. And I said, Hey, how's, How's your box breathing going? And they would either say one of two things, either, oh, it's great, or, oh, it's okay. And if, it, if they said, <laughs> okay, I said, oh, how, how often are you doing it? And they were like, oh, like five minutes, once a week. Like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if you wanted to get good at playing the piano and you played five minutes a week, how good would you be? Yeah, not that no. good. So, you know, and I'm like, am I really going to change someone's behavior on their own no but what they would do they would come to this physical training this pt we did every morning so i started doing 20 minutes of mind gym work because i said all right if you're not doing box breathing which is the basic you're definitely not doing any mind gym work and mind gym work also incorporates breathing sometimes we use that box breathing but most times it's not it's just a deep breath so um so i started doing it for that reason, to help other people. And a woman said, I will pay you. She said, I really like that. I will pay you to put an app together. I, I, <laughs> I had no idea to do it. Um, I, I didn't take her up and she, she did enroll in it, but I, she didn't pay for it. Um, so I put it together and we, we launched it in March of 22. Um, and originally we had six weeks of basic training. Um, so it was every day you do one thing. So it's like first on your breath and then how to just focus so you, you know, draw a box and you just get used to that. And that by itself might be hard. And then, okay, change the color of the lines and the width of a line and change the background. And then, oh, by the way, when, when I asked people, I said, when you imagine an issue, like something bothers you and you visualize it, where is it? And they're always like, here, like, well, like, right in front of me. And I'm like, okay, so if it's that close, you think about it like if someone's that close they either want to fight you or kiss you <laughs> like that's a pretty intimate distance um and so you're like why is it there why do you imagine it's there what if you put it a hundred yards back or to your left or to your right or behind you or below you or in your back pocket or three miles away in a storage unit 
And people are like, wow, I can move it. <laughs> yeah, you're like, amazing. I mean, it's simple, but it's like, oh, that's a pattern of how we represent things. Like you're looking at a computer screen. Great. You don't have to do that, though. And so then we have people start to move things and, and be, be able to focus because you need to focus. Then we'll have people like get a sense of flow. Like, all right. So for example, if you go, all right, you get stressed. Where do you notice it? Oh, I tense up in my upper chest. Great. You have to notice that. Mm. And so if you have that sense of flowing and we, you know, have someone in the bottom of a lake, it's flowing or use fountains or just different approaches or, or even like, um, you know, clouds and raining and the ground absorbs the rain and then it rises up and it forms clouds. So you have these different images and you get used to that sense of flowing. And then again, you just use different things and change, um, you know, how to change one, one of the things is going up a mountain. Um, and you know, you always, you have to, you know, move forward and there's just different ideas there. Um, then we added advanced training on relationships, sleep, different perspectives, beliefs, your habits, how to set goals, um, your, uh, your value system, how do you reinforce yourself, your identity, how that links. So we have now 127 different training sessions. They're all about wow. 20 minutes each. Yeah. So I do one every day in my own morning ritual. Yeah. So I get up at 5.30, feed the dogs or make the bed, whichever. If my wife gets out <laughs> of the bed first, I make the bed. If I do, I feed the dogs. And, uh, then um, then I do 20 minutes of my own mind gym training. Yeah. Then in our morning physical training or PT, I lead the team in 20 minutes of mind gym again. So I, I do it like 40 minutes a day minimum. Uh, gotcha. I, I don't think it's it's that important. Um, yeah, yeah. You have a and, nighttime routine? Um, a little bit. So I always read, and um, and then I recapitulate the day. You know, I kind of like, hey, what did I learn? You know, what's a win? What's a takeaway? Uh, what what might I do differently? How are you doing that? Are you just doing that in your mind, or are you doing it in a journal, or talking to your wife? Um, not talking to my wife, <laughs> uh, not talking to my wife. Um, no, I just do it in my mind. Okay. Um, I hate journaling. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've written four books, so I write things down. Like when something hits me, like I definitely write a lot down. I'll take notes, but like every day I just don't like it. And, um, so some of my clients love journaling. I'm like, Hey, great. You know, um, I, I just, I'll write it down if it's meaningful to me, right. but I also found like, unless I'm going to practice it, you know, like, yeah, I write it down, but am I doing anything? Cause I look at it and go, yeah, that's the same thing I wrote down five years ago and 10 years ago <laughs> and I haven't done anything. So now it's more like, but I do keep track of this. I have a values tracker and I'm like, all right, mm. what's something new that I learned that I practiced? So, for example, if I have something I learned in my studies or something from hypnosis class or maybe this idea, like I just got orthotics uh, yesterday. And so I did a mind gym this morning about, hey, you know, you can have just a little shift. And at first it's uncomfortable. Like if you have braces, you know, they, they feel uncomfortable at first. 
but you get used to them really quickly. And it's, you know, talking about little minor shifts that over time make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, are you saying that your straight teeth are not your real teeth? That crooked mm-hmm. teeth were your real teeth? Like, so you can go, hey, what are those little changes that over time you want to make? So that was just like, hey, I'm using something that happened in my life mm-hmm. that if, you know, people have orthotics or braces or something that they use, you know, some people have a back brace if they had scoliosis, for example, mm-hmm. but, but most people can relate to something, you know, maybe they had to wear something as a kid or they have to do something to correct, you know, some thing. And now it's like, oh, it's so much better. So that that's an example of that. But I try to use really practical things where people can relate and they're like, yeah, me too. You know, or, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, like, hey, don't be ashamed, like normalize it. Like we all we all lose it. Um, like one of the things I did recently was called do it right or do it again. Mm-hmm. And in the SEAL fit training, in the kind of very stern military training, like they go, hey, there's two ways to do this. Do it right or do it again. And so if you didn't work as a team and do it right, you keep doing it until you do it. But in, in kind of a practice mode, you go. Hey, how did that go? How did that interaction go? Or how did you handle that? And if it wasn't what you wanted, do it again, but do it in your mind, you know, do it in your mind. Like, how would you wish it gone? And then you do multiple reps and you might do it 20 or 30 times. And mm-hmm. in, in the mind gym practice, I'll say, okay, now we're going to do another rep or we're going to do it again. Okay. Run it through. Okay. Number two, go. Number three, go. And so you're training your mind to do it right, whatever do it right means for you. Mm-hmm. So those are uh, those are some fun examples. Um, and and also if I, <laughs> um, so for this was like two years ago, I think. And so our daughter and her husband and her kids, their three kids, were here. And um, and so the oldest, the girl, was jumping on our coffee table. And I said, Riley, please get off the table. And her little brother, Jackson, <laughs> goes, you can't. You know, he's like sticking up. He's like, you can't tell Riley to know. And, you know, and I'm like, yes, I can. You know? <laughs> and so, like, I didn't yell at him or anything. But then I sit back. I'm like, okay. He was sticking up for his sister. Like, he, which is a good thing. And right. he cared about her. And I'm like, and I cared about her. Because I didn't want her to break that and fall through and maybe get hurt, you know, she yeah. hurt her leg. So I'm like, you know, I could have said, Hey, I love that you're sticking up for her and you care about her. And so do I, why do you think I didn't want her to jump on that? And then I could explain it. I said, cause she could get hurt mm. and really hurt her leg. And you wouldn't want that. Would you No. Oh, neither did I. Mm-hmm. So I love that you're sticking up for her. And I was sticking up for her too. And so sometimes if you care about someone, you want whatever. So I could have told him that. I'm like, yeah, instead of just going, oh, I can tell. Uh, so, but, but I, instead of just going, oh yeah, I could have handled that better. I rehearsed it. I'm like, mm. Let me play that through. Let me run it through a few times. Cause it wasn't natural to me. Like, I don't have to explain myself to a two-year-old, but I'm like, all right, but how am I role modeling? So I'm mm. bigger and louder and that's who wins. I'm like, that, that's not good. And so uh, I had to practice that a few times. Fortunately, I hadn't, I didn't have to use it again, but now, now if I get in that situation, I go to it right away. Cause I, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure it's always practical, 
practicable to do it right away. But I think when you have that desire, you know, okay. maybe it's at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I can handle that better. Okay, practice it. Give your mind, what do you want? It's like if you train a dog and you go, no, don't. Okay, what do you want the dog to do? You're telling him what not to do, but you're not giving him, all right, now give your mind a direction to go. Um, like we had, uh, uh, so I live in upstate New York and we had a ton of rain, like Florida rain. Like we don't, it just doesn't <laughs> rain like that here, but it did mm -hmm. this summer. And we had two sinkholes in a street, like a mile from us. I'm like, what? we're not in Florida, like sinkholes. We don't get those here. We had these two huge sinkholes in this street that's near it. And it's one I take a lot. And so I'd go down this path and then there was a detour because of these sinkholes. And so like I kept going down that street because I forgot it was closed off. And it's just like, oh, what pattern do you have of thinking and behaving and responding and emoting? And then you're like, okay, if you have a detour, then you got to go down that new route. And after a while, you'll go down that new route. It's like, have you ever, you're driving and you're like, nope, not this road. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going there because you're just so used to, you know, going there. And you're like, yeah, that's not where I'm going at all. And so I think if you say, all right, I want to make a change, the sooner you sh show your mind that detour and you make it strong and you practice it and practice it and practice it, then it's a strong neural pathway. Otherwise, you know, wanting to make a change, I don't know, you tell me, how does that work for you? Because for most people, it doesn't. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I really want to change. Yeah. No, yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah. I'm, what I'm hearing too is uh, take action and the faster, it may have been John Maxwell that talks about this, this idea of something that he heard years ago, do it now, do it now, do it now. And, you know, how fast do we want to change? I know Tony Robbins talks about that, I think a lot as well, right? How change can come in an instant. Um, uh, Jim, I could talk to you for hours. I, I know we're <laughs> running out of time. Nice. Um, when it comes to social media, what's your strategy? For it, against it? moderation uh it's a good question i think it depends on who you are and what age you are and um how much you engage in it you know i have a lot of clients now who are in their 40s 50s and 60s and they're like yeah i'm just scrolling i'm just wasting time uh, i think it can be super influential for younger kids um and like you, Benjamin, you see a lot of people, they're, they're couples or they're, they just sit there like this and you're like, Hey, you're, you're at a restaurant, you're at dinner and you're just looking at your phone and no one's talking. So that's very troubling um, to me. Um, the other thing, and this is uh, the rates of, of suicide and suicidality or suicidal ideation uh, has skyrocketed. And this, the, the largest increase in suicides is girls under the age of 10. It's it's not the biggest number overall. The numbers, thank God, are still small, but the largest increase is that. And so, you know, you look at from, uh, um, and, and there's research on this, you know, the, the negative influence on mental health of social media. So, I, I mean, in some ways it's great. You can learn so much. Um, I, I use it, um, YouTube videos, other things are fantastic. You know, just the, the amount of information at your fingertips is great. 
I think there's a flip side that's negative. Uh, and I think it's really, I think individuals, you know, limit it. Um, and then for kids, like really, really be aware of that. I think it can yeah. be dangerous. Yeah. Do you have a recommendation on like age wise? I know it's going to ultimately be up to parents and things like that, but what are your thoughts with uh, age if someone is going to get started with it? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think I would, if I had kids now and, and, you know, we have grandkids now, like I wouldn't give them a phone until they're in high school. You okay. know, I think, yeah. I think those middle school years are, are, are challenging enough. Um, and, mm. uh, yeah. Can children benefit from, uh, the mind gym? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I, I put in there, you know, I said, you have to be able to breathe <laughs> and focus. You know, I think, uh, so when we, when I do the physical training in the morning, we've had people, kids as young as six join us. Um, you know, they, there was a guy in Spain, in, um, Barcelona and he, uh, he brought his kids. So he had three girls. They were at a time four, I think four, eight and 10. Um, and you're, yeah. When you mention uh, physical training, are, is this through the app or is this something else that people can, can uh, follow you it, with? Yeah, you can find it. It's in mindgympro.com. Um, so okay. it's, it's not necessarily through the app, but we do mind gym training for 20 minutes and then we physically train. It's gotcha. all functional fitness. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think kids could definitely do it. I, um, you know, they they want to practice what great skills to have to be able to focus, to be able to go forward and back to rehearse and, and all those things. Yeah, absolutely. If there was one particular exercise for someone who's listening to this to get started today, a mental exercise or, or just habit, uh, what might that be? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say two things. One is do breath work. Um, because the average adult anyway breathes 16 to 20 times a minute um when we train we're probably doing two a minute maybe mm -hmm. or less and it's very restorative and it, it just gives you a, a different perspective so i think anyone can do that anytime anywhere yeah i think the other thing is work on their inner voice most people's mm -hmm. inner voice is very critical so kind of be aware of your inner voice and even, you know, encourage, like if you were talking to a five-year-old, Hey, good job. Oh, I really like, you know, how you did that. Um, and it sounds kind of weird. And I, I coach a lot of very senior executives and I was one too. So it's all like, Oh, come on. Like, all right. I would, I would work on that inner dialogue. I think with the inner voice or the inner critic, I was supposed to run 16 miles last week. Uh, I tapped out at 13.1. Man, what are you doing, dude? Come on. You got three more miles. Finish it up. Um, is it possible to silence the voice in our head? You know, when people say, you know, what, whatever it may be, before they get on stage, it's just like all these negative thoughts or, you know, you're going to mess up. Is it actually possible to silence that voice, so to speak? And I'm not talking yeah. about... God speaking to us, you know, supernaturally or anything like that, yeah. but just people saying that they just have this constant 
you know, constant voice, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really hard. Mm. Um, but I think is like, we have two dogs and one is a pit bull lab mix and loves people and very, you know, waggy and excited. <laughs> but when we have guests, we get these, you know, things from the butcher, the little knuckle bones and with meat and we give the dogs a bone and they're happy and they just eat the bones. Right. So it's kind of like your mind, give your mind a bone. <laughs> so if you have a, um, and I did this and I learned this from, uh, Gucharn Singh Khalsa back in, um, the nineties from yoga. He, he, and, and another guy, um, wrote a book called breath walk and it's integrated movement. So they would integrate, you know, your footsteps with your breath, with your mantra, with mudra, which is fingers. So they were like, while your feet are moving and while you're saying something, right? Um, Commander Mark Devine does the same thing. He calls it integrated um, movement or integrated training. So it's it's been around for a long time. So, for example, while you're running, like, Easy day, piece of cake. You got <laughs> this. Ooh, yeah, that's, that's one we use. Yeah. Um, but what happens is, like, if you ever jump start a car where you know you have a like your car, they don't have them now, but like if you have a standard, you'd get someone to push your car, and then you're going a little bit, and you pop the clutch in first gear, and it it starts the motor, and so you go, and so just like kind of jump start or pop start your mind you do that after a while and as soon as you start running easy day piece of cake we got this hoo yeah or whatever right that you create your own mantra but what happens is you get in that rhythm it's an entrainment and you see this in maasai warriors you know the jumping up and down and chanting or or you, or you see this in war and they're drumming it's a reason you get entrained. So mm. it crowds out any other thought. So mm. it's really hard to stop your inner dialogue, but you can train it to do something else. So you're like, okay, when you run, you train, you integrate your breath, and then you use your mantra. And I swear, like, um, you run 10 miles, 13 miles, and it'll, it's like, wow, I'm already done. Yeah. You know, because I've done a lot of long runs. And if you're like, oh, God, oh, I hate this. It's so when is it going to be over? <laughs> okay, that's your inner dialogue. And you're going to feel lousy. And that's why yep. in the military, they're doing like these little songs. Why? Because now that's what you're focusing on. Not, oh, it's cold. My back hurts. You know, my hips hurt. This is so long. And then you hear it from each other. And so everyone's encouraging each other. So you have that kind of collective mantra, if you will. So yeah. yeah, I would I would train your mind, train your inner voice. So you can use a mantra. Um we do it in PT with sometimes a mantra and sometimes, you know, like, hey Benjamin, looking good. Now your inner voice is matching your outer voice. You hear it, I'm saying your name, you feel good, you feel stronger. And now you feel good. And you go, hey, Jim, you're looking good. Hey, man, keep going, blah, blah, blah. Now you're feeling good. So we're always saying, focus on other people. When you feel down, focus on others. It takes the pain away from you. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, definitely you can train your mind. A mantra is a really easy way to do it. And if you're, or if you're walking or riding a bike or rowing, if it's some repetitive movement, especially you, you don't really have to think instead of putting, you know, a, a podcast on, train your mind. I, I never, ever run or walk or anything. And listen, I'm always training my mind. Like, guys, train your mind. That's a perfect opportunity. So yeah, try it out. Let me know how it goes. I'm so happy I asked you that question. Thank you so much for that. And uh, that's a perfect place for us to stop. Jim, this has been fantastic. Train your mind. I think that's a great place for us to end. Thank you so much, Jim, for, for being on the show. Oh, Benjamin, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. You take care. And thank you all for listening as well. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of I Can Do. Stay strong. Keep moving forward. Keep that I can do mentality. And if you can, leave me a review and a rating so that this podcast can be heard by as many people as possible and so that others can be encouraged as well. Take care and God bless.